you found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible Basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. As a culture, we are completely burned out. This has obviously been happening more and more over the last few years, but we are seeing it. We're seeing medical workers burned out. We're seeing women who are trying to be perfect and calm and pretty and get everything right and exhaust all their resources on people. And we're just kind of running low. This term of burnout has been around since the 70s, and they came up with three things that tell us what burnout is about. Number one is emotional exhaustion. Your toothpaste is at the end of the tube, and emotionally, not just physically, you're running out of speed. We come up with terms like compassion fatigue. You just don't feel the same way about situations as you did before. The second is depersonalization. This is kind of a technical term, but it means you kind of see yourself outside of where you're at, and this affects your relationships. You're not as invested in the relationships you have. And the third thing is like this overwhelming feeling that the things that you are doing have no point. I don't think you have to know technical terms to know that we are feeling burnout. Three out of four workers in the United States are experiencing symptoms of burnout. And this is accumulated stress over time that just leads us to we're kind of empty. So what's the usual cure to handle these things? People might say, hey, you should have green smoothies or you should have some me time or you should have an attitude of gratitude and come up with three things that you're thankful for and then you're going to get through it. But what happens if you're really, really empty? But we look in the Bible and there is a perfect example of that. His name is Elijah. You've heard of Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he had just had the greatest day of his entire life. He defeated the prophets on Mount Carmel. But then he got scared. And he's scared of the queen. He runs away from his problems. And he goes into the middle of the desert. He starts making poor decisions. And he leaves his companion behind. And all by himself, with no food or water, he just collapses. And he says, God, I've kind of had enough. He had this dream that the hearts of the people would change, but it wasn't happening. His work was pointless. He got so low that he was even thinking about getting rid of his life. He said, God, you can just kill me now, essentially. So God comes close to him. And you know what God says? When he's at his lowest point and you're thinking, when am I at my lowest point? Maybe you're feeling that right now. Do you know what God says to him? Have you thought about a bath bomb? Have you thought about some staycation? Have you thought about some me time? That's not what God says. God says this, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God wants you to know his presence. That's capital L-O-R-D. The same God that came to Elijah is the same God who comes to us in his word. You know what he tells us? He tells us promises and he tells us that when you're alone and you're all by yourself, you are loved, you are forgiven, you have a purpose and keep going because I am with you. Let's pray. Lord, we are burned out and some of us feel burned up. We don't expect instant fixes, but we do expect to know your loving presence in our lives. Help us to see you more clearly when we are overwhelmed. 
Uh, when turbulence comes, it feels so much better to hold on to something secure. So help us cling to you and your word and your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Stress or stressor, I've been doing some research on this topic of burnout and the literature talks about, is something stress or is it the cause, the stressor? God makes our bodies very unique and we're able to handle very dangerous situations. But in the Western world, it's unlikely that we are gonna die from some kind of wild animal attack or even some clan battle. More likely, we're gonna die from the stress rather than the stressor. So what does this mean practically? Most of us are trying to get rid of the stressor. So we have to-do lists that we wanna check off. We wanna pay our taxes, we wanna get the car fixed, we wanna take care of our kids, we wanna do all these things. But what is happening is the stress from these events has staying in our bodies. I'll give you an example. Hypothetically, have you ever been pulled over by a police officer? You see the red and the blue lights in the background and you're going, you're going, your heart starts to go and your body feels differently and then the police car goes by. Instantly, you don't feel different again. Instead, that sticks with you. And unless you process that, what they call the, the cycle, and you complete that cycle to get rid of that stress, it stays with you. And what is burnout? Burnout is the accumulated stress over time, mental and emotional and physical, that sticks with us that eventually empties our tank. So what kind of options do we have? We've got a couple options. One is simple things to get rid of this. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. That's a teaser. But today, I want to talk about spiritual things. Because this is essentially stress that we hold on to, sin, but it has eternal consequences. And we call it our own cycle. We call it the repentance cycle. And it has a number of parts, but this is how God talks about it. This is 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. This is what this cycle looks like. God creates in us this sense of godly sorrow. We feel sorry for the sins. We have regret for the things that we have done. We confess these sins, and someone tells us that in Christ we are forgiven. And in faith, we hold on to that promise that Christ died for the sins of the world. That means he died for my sins too, and it goes full circle that we live a life that better reflects the life we live in. So where do we sit? We sit as forgiven children of God. And it might seem kind of antiquated, honestly, to sit on the side of your bed and get down on your knees and confess your sins. It might seem old-fashioned to call up a pastor and say, I want to talk about a sin that is consuming me. But I'll tell you what never, ever gets old, hearing that in Christ, your sins are completely forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, continue to create in our hearts that idea that we recognize that we have done wrong against you but also sustain us with a faith and that trusts in you for forgiveness fully and freely. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you are feeling burnout, it is probably because you've had stress over time, accumulated over time, that does not seem like it's going to let up. In our world, we are more likely to die from the stress rather than the stressor. So we have to try and be able to get rid of this stress. We live in a relatively safe area. We're not in danger of wild animals. We don't have unsafe working conditions. Our cars are safe. We don't live in a Charles Dickens novel. Instead, we have to figure out how do we get rid of this stress? And there's actual ways that you can do this. So from a Christian perspective, from a spiritual perspective, if we're weighed down by sin, and the psalmist even talks about it, his bones are wasting away when he held on to this sin. We confess that sin and we breathe in the forgiveness of Christ and we live a different life. 
But physically, what about the other stuff? There's actually stuff you can do to get rid of this accumulated stress. So I did a bunch of reading, looked at blog posts and podcasts and read books and scientific journals even, and this is some of the things that they talk about. Number one is the most obvious, exercise. You're stressed out in a situation, you go for a walk for 20 or 40 minutes. In fact, if you're too lazy to go for a walk, now I just cause stress, so we'll just get rid of that. If you don't feel like going for a walk, you can just tense your muscles for 20 seconds. I'm like, that's really efficient. Other things that you can do is do something creative. You can draw in a coloring book or whatever that looks like. You can um, have contact with other people socially. You can uh, lay down and take a nap. This all works. And one of the things that it said you can do, and this was in a scientific journal, they said you should have affection. And the example they had was that you should kiss for six seconds. I'm thinking six seconds? Who kisses for six seconds? That is so short. But the final one that they talked about is just making connection. And connection was this hug where you're both grounded on the ground. And this sounds so strange. You stand, you don't lean in on the other person, you just come together for 20 seconds. What are all these things doing, right? This seems a little bit maybe ridiculous, some of them. They're not actually getting rid of the stressor. This doesn't pay your taxes. It doesn't fix your job situation. All you're doing is when you breathe and when you do something creative is you're getting rid of the stress that's accumulated in your body. Which gets back to point number two. Control the controllables. You don't run the universe. God does. You don't determine if there's traffic. You don't determine if you have frustrating employers or employees. That's out of your control. But you do control how you react to them. You do control when you leave home for work. So control the controllables and leave the rest up to God. This is what it says in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So let's pray that God is with us as we go through our own journeys. Uh, dear God, today help us do two things. First, give us the courage to control the controllables in our life and leave the rest to you. You created us with unique bodies and unique things that each of us can do to offload this oppressive stress that is burning us out. Ultimately, though, you have taken care of our greatest need in Christ and our salvation that he won for us. And help us always keep that at the center of the thing that we hold on to. We ask this in your name. Amen. The other day I was reading about the Navy SEALs. I love the Navy SEALs and their selection process for the Special Forces. And you hear stories about how they're in San Diego and they're on the beach and they're doing their burpees in the sand and they're doing flutter kicks and they got to carry their rafts all around. And it's utterly exhausting. And they were talking about these guys who wanted to quit and how hard it is. And they have this bell that's very famous and they ring the bell, that means you're out. The whole time, like this psychological warfare is coming as the instructors are saying like, you are weak and you're not gonna do it. You should just quit. They made a promise to each other that they would not quit in, I think they call it an evolution, like in the midst of the training. Instead, they would wait till the end of the day when all was done, and if they still wanted to quit, they would quit. But they came up with this phrase, I'm gonna to quit tomorrow. I have no idea what you are going through, you and God do. But like Elijah, I imagine there are moments, because if you're like me, there's moments you just wanna quit. You've kind of gotten to the end, you're burned out, and you said, I have had enough. It feels like my work is sometimes pointless. It feels like I'm not getting anywhere. Emotionally, you start to detach a little bit. So in the midst of this, Elijah had just conquered the prophets of Baal, and he's all by himself, and he's confessing this out to God. He's crying out to God, God, I'm the only one left. My work is useless. There isn't a single other believer on the whole planet. This is what God says to him. 
It's kind of long, so listen closely. This is uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death all who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death all who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. What is God saying to Elijah? Essentially, don't quit today. I got work for you to do. I know you could be overwhelmed. I know you got all kinds of stuff going on. You're trying to balance too many things in the air with too few hands. But God is coming to you today to say that he has a purpose for you, that he has a point for you, he has a mission for you. You might not be able to see it just yet, but I know it's there. So why don't we just quit tomorrow? Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of this tunnel of adversity, it can be pretty overwhelming. And when we are overwhelmed, when we are crushed, when we don't know where to turn, help us always turn to you. Give us the energy and give us the courage to keep going and to see clearly why we are connected to you and that our mission is connected with not only what you have made us to be, our passions, but you have put us in this planet for a reason. Help us to see that reason clearly so we can do what you've called us to do. We ask this in your name. Amen. At some point in every Disney movie, every princess has an I want song. Moana wants to go to the ocean. Ariel wants to go where the people go. Belle wants to go on adventures that she reads about in her books. Then of course they have, this leads up to the adversity they're going to face and their evil stepmother and their remarkably kindly father. Where does this go? I don't think any Disney princesses dream of where we're at if you're feeling burnout. None of them dream about, I want to be numb and I want to feel disconnected from people and I want to feel far from my work and I want to feel emotionally empty. Nobody is dreaming about that. They want something more. And so what do you want? We just finished a series on burnout. What are you looking for? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be kind of numb and barely functioning or do you want to be the person that God has made you to be? None of us are expecting the world to be perfect. We don't expect our Heavenly Father to be a lawnmower parent and knock down all the obstacles. Literally, while I was working on this devotion, my daughter called me because things pile up. I'm working on this, I'm feeling a deadline, and she calls to tell me that my classic 1975 Chevy truck is overheated on the side of the highway while she was driving it. Things pile up. That adds stress, and burnout is stress accumulated over time. We've talked about ways to be able to get rid of these. We've talked about things that are overwhelming, but what pulls you through? I heard it said that if you know why, you're willing to suffer through anything. So what are you willing to suffer through and what is helping you suffer through this world? What's your why? Why are mothers willing to go through labor and the pain that goes with it? Why are sleepless nights? Why do you go to work? Is it for the money or is it for your family? Is it to actually help people? Why do you think Jesus was willing to go to the cross? Why do you think Jesus was willing to suffer and to be flogged and to put on a crown of thorns and to be separated from God the Father because of you? He had his why. Hopefully during this week, probably the most important thing is you're talking about the struggle of this world. It's not going to be easy. We live in a sin-filled world with sinful people and we're going to always have problems. We're going to always have stress. But how do we get rid of this stress? How do we function? We cling to Jesus and we found our why. We keep our eyes fixed on him. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is my encouragement to you. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus as we go through this difficult world. Let's pray. Lord, so many of us and our friends are in the middle of trouble and we've endured things that are so challenging and sometimes we forget our why and we start to sink. Help us keep our eyes fixed on you, see our purpose in this life and see that you have something special for each of us. And whatever that is, help us shine and show your glory in all that we do. We ask this in your name, amen.